Well, back at Logansville, I have been preaching through 1 Corinthians, and we're actually in the middle of chapter 14 at the moment. And, and so we should finish around the end of the summer or so, give or take. And when we do finish that book, I'm planning to um, move into an Old Testament book. And if I can work up the courage, we're actually going to be studying the book of Leviticus. Um, I, don't know if I'm, I don't know if I have the courage yet, but we're working on that. And so related to that, this morning I wanted to preach from a passage in the Old Testament that has been both very encouraging to us as a church and I trust will be to you as well this morning. Um, it's also one that gives us some foundation for all that comes after it with regards especially to the children of Israel. So open your Bibles, please, if you would, to the book of Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. And before I read these last few verses of the chapter, I want to give you just a little bit of background. My guess is that many of us have not spent too much time in the book of Numbers. Uh, But many of the events that are recorded in this book are very familiar to people who have been around church for a while. One of the reasons I believe that this book seems a little daunting um, is that it opens with a pretty detailed census of the people of Israel. And we often don't know what to do with large lists of names and numbers in Scripture. We were joking at our elder meeting just a couple of weeks ago that the, uh, the book of Numbers, sometimes we think of it as God's spreadsheet. And you know as well as I do, some people love spreadsheets, and some people have no idea what to do with spreadsheets. Well, in fact, Numbers is in some ways an unfortunate name for the book. The title comes from the Septuagint, the pre-New kind of Testament era Greek translation of the Old Testament. But the Hebrew name is just simply in the wilderness. So consider that statement, in the wilderness, thinking of the people of Israel. In reality, this book, the book of Numbers, recounts the stories of, of two generations of Israelites, one who is faithful and the other that is faithless. So here's the setting before we read this. Having been led by Moses away from their slavery in Egypt, Numbers, the book of Numbers, opens with the people of Israel still encamped at Mount Sinai. So they fled Egypt through the Red Sea, and in Exodus 19, they arrive at Mount Sinai where the Lord meets with them or with Moses as their mediator specifically, and he covenants with them, and he says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people responded with, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And so he gives them the tablets of the law. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And then, and then he gives them the rest of the law, really through the final chapters of the book of Exodus and through the book of Leviticus. And so it's not until Numbers chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, that we see them set out to leave Mount Sinai and head toward the land that was promised to their forefathers. In Exodus, or rather Numbers 12, 16, they arrive at the southern border of the promised land. And it is from here that they send in the spies, Caleb and Joshua. But then in chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Numbers, 
Their rebellious hearts are revealed as the reports of the spies return. And they cry out against God with weeping when they hear of their foes in this land. Of course, we've already actually seen their hearts turn to idolatry as they worshipped that golden calf while they were still back at Mount Sinai. Well, because I know your shepherds, I know your elders, um, I trust that you're at least fairly familiar with these common stories of the history of the people of Israel. But it's at this point, in Numbers chapter uh, chapter 14, after they have cried out and rebelled, they are condemned then to spend 40 years wandering through the wilderness until they finally arrive at the plains of Moab in Numbers 22, verse 1. The plains of Moab was just east of the promised land, and they're going to stay there for the rest of the book of Numbers. And it is here, looking at the promised land on the horizon, that they would receive the book of Deuteronomy and wait for the final command to enter the promised land, which happens in Joshua chapter 3. Well, as part of the Pentateuch, these first five books of the Bible, Numbers focuses on the promises that were made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, really way back in the book of Genesis. Specifically here, these promises focus on the Lord calling a particular people to himself and and promising to give them land where they will walk in fellowship with him. And what we need to remember as we look at today's passage is that this promise has been God's plan from the very beginning. Genesis begins with the Lord creating man, male and female, and commanding them to fill the earth as they walk in fellowship with the Lord and reflect his image to the world. What does it mean to reflect God's image? Well, kind of briefly here, it means that his people were to reflect or at least what we call his communicable attributes. That is, those attributes of God that he shares with us at least to some degree. And so for us as Christians, think of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, when the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Or from the end of Galatians chapter 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. This is essentially the same purpose For the children of Israel, as the book of Numbers opens, they are to walk in close fellowship with their king as they live out the law that he has given them. And do you remember the summary of the law by their king, by our king? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, he summarized the law like this. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so consider now, sort of with 
all of that as an introduction, as sort of the history of the background of this passage, the children of Israel, as they have found themselves here in Numbers chapter 6, they've received the law, they are preparing to head into the promised land, and here we read this command and this promise blessing of the Lord. Numbers chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 22 through the end of the chapter, 27. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Let's just stop and pray right here. Father, I pray that, um, that you would give us ears to hear today. Help us to understand the things that you would say to us in your word. Help us to take to heart the truth of the blessings that come through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that, uh, I pray that I would decrease and that Christ would increase. Lord, that Jesus Christ might be glorified. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So as I said, I'm, I'm guessing, and I, it's kind of an educated guess, that most of you have at least a bit of an understanding of the history of the people of Israel. In fact, I believe Gabe's been preaching through 1 Kings, right? So you understand that the spiritual life of the nation was filled with ups and downs, and certainly more downs than ups, especially when you get into the books of Kings. So put yourself in their shoes for a minute, their sandals for a minute. Before this blessing is given here, uh, the children of Israel are, as I said, they are preparing for this dangerous trek across the desert of the Sinai Peninsula. Many will die. As a people, they will face thirst and starvation. There will be enemies who will attack them. They don't really have an army. They really just have fathers and brothers and grandfathers who will fight and some will die. Like even in the book of 1 Corinthians, they will develop factions and divisions among them. Before they begin on this journey, God goes before them with this blessing of comfort and peace and promise. And I want to point out right here that in their wilderness wanderings, as they wander for a generation in the wilderness, this blessing is the very thing that they don't believe. It's the very thing that they forget. Listen to their complaint from the end of the book. Numbers chapter 20 verses 4 and 5 says this, Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. The complaining children of Israel, I don't know about you, but they're not so different from me. They're not so different from us. But I want you to just look for a moment at the blessing itself in verses 24 25 and 26. Just let your eyes look at the actual words on the page. We might miss this in our English Bibles, especially depending on how those particular verses are laid out on the page. 
But in the Hebrew that they would have read in the coming generations, each section of the blessing expands on the last. So verse 24 in Hebrew has three words. Verse 25 has five words, and verse 26 has seven words. The blessing enlarges and expands as God is giving it. And the poetry of this would not be lost on the Hebrew people. The, the tetragrammaton, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh's name, his personal name is used three times, stressing the, the giver and the source of the blessing. Beyond that, the blessing itself contains 12 Hebrew words, 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel. This is a promise for all of God's people. And do you see that this is not simply the, the priest offering up a prayer asking for those things? This is a blessing from God. So rather than a, than a prayer asking for the Lord to, to meet the needs of the people as they, as they journey to the promised land, rather than a, than a prayer for traveling mercies, this benediction explains what God is giving them. This is his initiative. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, God speaks, God acts, God promises. And so in this blessing or this benediction, we can see an appointment, a prescription, and a promise. Let's begin with an appointment. Again, verses 22 and 23 says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The first thing that we ought to notice here is the the verbal nature of the blessing. Spoke, speak, saying, say. The Lord spoke to Moses as the mediator between God and his people. And he commanded him to speak to Aaron and his sons, that is his priestly descendants, and, and commanded them to speak the blessing to the people. Implied in this is is the one who is spoken to is actually hearing, right? And I'm sure that we understand, especially if you're a parent, that there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? Jesus, in explaining to his disciples why he spoke to the people in parables, he said this in Matthew chapter 13. He said, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. And what is the key to that? What did the Apostle Paul say? So faith comes by Hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Those who are not blessed by the Lord, they do not hear. Consider Isaiah's vision of God's throne in Isaiah chapter 6. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy, 
blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Those who are blessed by the Lord, who are not blessed by the Lord, do not hear. Finally, consider the, consider the opening of the book of Hebrews. The author, the preacher of Hebrews, begins like this. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what we do every week at Logansville Church at the end of our service and I see it in the bulletin here. One of the elders at our church gets up and reads a benediction. Sometimes we will pray a benediction of blessing on the people. Sometimes we will just read one of the benedictions from Scripture. Really, I like it when they read one of the benedictions of Scripture because it's the very words of God as he pronounces a blessing on his people. But back to this, today's text. Among all of their responsibilities, the priests were appointed by God to solemnly bless the children of Israel in the name of the Lord. This was part of their work. It was part of their responsibility. And this was a great honor for them to do this, since the purpose of this blessing was to give great comfort to the people and to give them hope. And yet, as priests, they were to be simply intercessors between the people and God. And therefore, they could only bless them as the Lord directed. They were to offer sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of the people and to bless the people on behalf of the Lord. But still, this blessing carries the promise of the Lord. But that was then, right? This is now. How does this apply to us? Well, for one thing, we have a better priest than they ever had. Listen as, the, again, the preacher of Hebrews explains. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22 says this, This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the, uh, above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point in which we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Christ's work was to bring blessing to his people. In fact, Luke records for us Jesus' final earthly act, according to Luke, before his ascension in the closing verses of Luke's gospel. Luke 24, verses 50 to 53 says this, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, 
he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. But this also, it also applies to us in that the Lord has given to his church pastors, under-shepherds of Christ, pastors who are called to remind those under our care. We are to remind Christ's sheep that we live under the blessings of Christ. That if you are his, if you have trusted in Christ, if you have put your faith in him, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This has been a pattern really from the earliest days of the church, even to dismiss the the solemn assembly with a blessing. That's why nearly all of the New Testament epistles end with such a blessing. Consider the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. I become more and more convinced that that ought to be how we dismiss each Sunday with a reminder of the blessings of Christ with a reminder that no matter what wilderness we wander through during the week, as Christians, we live under the blessing of Jesus Christ. But this was, not only was this an appointment for the priest to do this, it was also a prescription, a prescription. Now now let's look at the blessing itself in verses 24, 25, and 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For the Hebrew people, the priests were given the very words of the blessing. This is not a template. It's not a guide. These are the very words to say. For us under the new covenant, we have further explained blessings, don't we? Think of the end of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21 puts it like this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I would not call, this is sometimes called the the Aaronic, the Aaron blessing, the Aaronic or the priestly blessing. I would not call this vague, this one that we see here in number six. But now that we have Christ, now that we have a new and better priest, a new and better covenant, now that we have the promise of a new and better promised land, we should see this blessing as much richer and much fuller. So as we As we consider this blessing, there are five things to reflect on this morning. First is this. It should be very clear that God is the only source of the only blessing worth having. God is the only source of the only blessing worth having. Three times it is stressed in here, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. And then even later in verse 27, he says, my name and I will bless them. 
Five times, God makes it clear that he and he alone is the only one capable of blessing his people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That God and God alone is the only one capable of blessing his people. The children of Israel did not believe that. They grumbled and complained all throughout the remainder of this book. All throughout the 40 years that they wandered through the wilderness. And really in one way or another, they grumbled and complained all throughout their history. They did not believe him. They did not put their trust and their faith in him. And so we must, we must not be like the Israelites who claim, we must not be those who claim Christ and complain about him all along. Instead, let us understand from here on out that God is the only one who gives the only blessing worth having. How different would our lives be if we, if we stopped living for the approval of men and instead lived trusting that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. No one can take the Lord's blessing off his people, though many will try. The world will fight against us because of this blessing. We will be tempted to forget this blessing. Even in, even in Numbers, we see God's enemies try to undermine God's promises. But nothing can stop the blessing that comes from the Lord. What's, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised. Who is at the right hand? Uh, who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is it tribulation? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second. Let us also consider that this blessing is both, if I could put it this way, it's both corporate and personal. It concerned all of the covenant community of faith and individuals in it. Notice in verse 23, it says the people of Israel. And then throughout the blessing, it says you. His blessing is not only for the entire covenant community. It's also for you. He is concerned with his people, all who call upon the name of the Lord. Too often we read the promises of God and only consider the personal aspect. What does this mean for me? We read God's word. What does this mean to me? When we only read the promises of God in this way, we're letting our selfishness take over. And so we worship, worship and church life. It becomes all about me. 
my preferences. And church becomes just another thing that we consume. But the promises and blessings of God are also necessarily corporate. Think of the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11. At the end of that passage, we are reminded, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They did not experience the the realization of the fulfillment of God's promises in this life. And, And frankly, none of us will either, until that day when we experience it all together in the eternal kingdom. Well, third, consider also that God blesses and keeps. God blesses and keeps. Sometimes the word blessing can sound vague, right? But we know that the the promise of the blessing of God is connected to salvation and eternal life in Christ, right? So for the descendants of Abraham, they were given the promise back in Genesis of land, seed, and blessing of children and property and a safe land to dwell in where they will live under God's special favor. Well, for us as New Covenant Christians, this is all fulfilled in Christ. Again, listen to the preacher of Hebrews in chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account." Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Christ, we are blessed and kept. We are his. Romans 8 1 is, is our favorite verse at Logansville Church. I, I probably say it every week. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are his, there is there now therefore no condemnation. If you are his, you are blessed and you are kept. Four, consider that the Lord delights in his people and forgives them. Sometimes we have this picture of an angry God just waiting to whack us when we get out of line. And there is discipline. There are a lot of warnings, even in the New Testament, for sin. But remember that the Lord delights in us and he forgives us. Just as when God revealed his glory to Moses on the mountain. And as a result, when Moses would come down and he would speak to the people, Moses' face reflected the glory of God to the people. Exodus chapter 34 actually tells us that when God's word was being proclaimed, Moses' face would shine on the people. 
This idea of God's own face shining on them is a picture of our Lord delighting in his people and showing them his grace. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, (coughs) but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That is how God describes himself. God's people has sinned, and he has forgiven them. Instead of showing fierce anger, he shows his, his grace and his mercy, and this is his promise. John tells us in his first letter, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord shines his face upon us. And then finally, the Lord sees and the Lord knows. Look at verse 26 again. Verse 25 says, The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord watches over his people. He is a good shepherd. He watches over his people. He hears their prayers. Remember, these very people, those who heard this blessing for the first time, Back in, the, in, in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25 says this, During those days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. The old hymn says his eye is on the sparrow. The scriptures in Psalm 32 verse 8 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. With my eye upon you. This blessing is is an appointment. The priests were to give it. It was a prescription. These were the words they were to say. And it is also a promise. It is a promise. Look at verse 27. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Simply put, this is a, this is a mark of ownership. Gods don't do this in the ancient world. It, gods are cruel taskmasters. Demands. Of course, they were in the minds of the people... This is a mark of ownership, though. He has purchased us as his own people. So consider for us what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way that God is going to mark his people is with a blessing. It is with a blessing, with eternal life. He calls us his own. He doesn't brand us like with cattle. He gives us a blessing. This is his mark of ownership. How do you know that these are my people? I've put my name and my blessing on them. That's how you're going to know that they're my people. And do you know how they 
how people will see that? Jesus was pretty clear. Our love for one another. That's how you will know that you are, how they will know that you are my disciples, he says, by your love for one another. John explains for us, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We can love one another because God first loved us. And so he says in this blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And if you are his, it it is no um, coincidence that is, especially the Apostle Paul, but really the apostles as they start their letters, the epistles of the New Testament, they use this kind of language, don't they? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just a greeting. That's a promise for his people. That is a truth. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And we praise the Lord that he has done this in his son, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, it is our prayer that you would remind us of these truths regularly. That when we come together, when this church assembles together on the Lord's day in your name, to praise your name, to lift up their voices, to lift up their prayers, to encourage one another, to come and serve each other and thereby serve you, that they would be given a taste of of rest, that they would be able to come and rest in the finished work of Christ, in the blessing of Jesus Christ, that it would not become for, uh, that they would not come together just simply to to work, to do uh, some religious duties, but that they would come and rest, that they would rest knowing that Jesus Christ has given us grace, He has poured out his grace upon us, that he has blessed us and keeps us, that through Jesus Christ, your face shines upon us and you are gracious to us, that you have lifted up your countenance upon us and given us peace that passes all understanding. Father, plant these truths deep down in our hearts that we might praise you and be transformed to Christ's likeness. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.